Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Bible. So if you're taking notes, if you want to, you know, write down a title, the title of today's message is Living the Bible. What does it mean for us to engage with this story that God is telling us in the Bible and to live within it, to, to live the Bible? And that's what we're going to unpack today. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents used to take us on vacation to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. I was raised in Virginia, and so Bush Gardens was always an easy vacation for them to take us on, and we always had a great time when we would go there. It's, a, it's an amusement park if you've never been before. It's a lot of fun. And I remember before the first time that we ever went to Bush Gardens, I was talking a big game. I was saying, oh, I'm going to ride all the roller coasters. I can't wait. I'm going to do it. And then I got there, and I saw the size of roller coasters. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to ride all the roller coasters. That's not for me. Now, I ride a little bit more now than I used to, but at the time, I was very, I was, no, this is, this is not my thing. Now, my little brother Colton, on the other hand, he's a crazy man. He will ride literally anything and everything. Colton does any type of thing that is related to potentially risking his life. Colton will do it. And my, and my, my dad, he's a good dad, he would say, well, if Colton wants to ride it, I guess I'm riding it with him. My dad would ride literally anything. And I was with Colton just for Colton. A few years ago, we went to an amusement park as adults and uh, we were looking at some different rides and my dad's like, you know, I think I'm going to sit this one out. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense now that we're adults. You're not in it. But I give him so much credit that he would go on every ride with my brother. And I was at the point, I, I wasn't, I didn't love all of the roller coasters. I'd ride some of them, but I really liked these different rides that Busch Gardens had. They were called 4D, like 4D experiences. Maybe some of you have done these at, at other amusement parks, or maybe you've also been to Busch Gardens. And, and, and the park is separated into different countries. And they had one 4D ride in Ireland. And the premise of this ride is that the entire theater, all of us as a group, we were in we were being carried around. We were supposed to be in a box that these leprechauns had found. And so they were talking to us as the audiences were watching with our glasses on. And as the, the ride progressed, different things would happen. So at one point in time, the leprechauns placed this box of people, which is us, the people in the theater, on the back of a horse. And our seat starts to move like we're actually on a horse. And at one point in time, a bird picks the box up and wind starts blowing in your face. And it kind of feels like you're actually in the experience. And the bird drops you and you're seat leans forward and it feels like you're falling. And instead of it being like a normal movie where you're just sitting and watching, it's like, I'm actually a part of this story. I'm actually a part of this experience. And I always remember really enjoying that and feeling like, oh, I'm a, I'm a part of this a little bit and this is so much fun and, and feeling all these different things. And, you know, obviously it wasn't real, but in some ways it felt real at different times. Some effects felt more real than others. But this idea of we were in the ride, we were in the story, we were in a sense participating in what was going on. This is a bit of an analogy that I want us to take as we talk about reading the Bible, that when we pick up the Bible and we're reading it and we're engaging with it and we're seeking how to interpret interpret it and how to apply it and all of these different things. It's not just this book that, oh, we look at it and has some old ancient tales in it, but it's actually a story that we can live in as well. We can engage with it. It's not just something that we have to watch or read about from a distance, but as we pick it up, we've been invited to participate in the story that God is telling in human history even more so than people who are just sitting in a box at a 4D thing where we were just sitting and letting it unravel, but we, we, was, we was kind of, you know, experience, 
experiencing it a little bit. We were kind of participating in the story that God is telling. We've actually been given assignments. We've been given responsibilities. We've been given something to do in the story that God is telling in the world. And so as we've said in this series, the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 is telling the story of creation. Then Genesis 3 to Malachi is a story of fallen creation and creation wrestling back and forth with God. And then Matthew through Revelation is the story of new creation. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, the new creation story has burst forth onto the pages of human history. And you and I have been invited to be new creation people. We as the church have been invited to be his kingdom citizens and be a part of bringing the new creation on earth as it is in heaven. So I want us to engage with this, to live in this, to live in our part of the story, to live as new creation people. But what does it mean for us to live in this new story, to live in the Bible, to live as new creation people? And this first point that I'm about to give you, I worked so hard on this. You're, I, I just want a big round of applause after I give you this point, because this, this took a lot of work right here. If we want to be people who live the Bible, who live in new creation, the first thing we have to do is this. We have to read the Bible. See, yeah, yeah, that was profound, right? That was just, I mean, mind-boggling. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, We have to read the Bible. Read the Bible. And this is something that I've noticed is, is, is difficult for many people, and it can be difficult even for me sometimes. You're like, oh, i got to read the, you know, and I don't always understand what's going on in here. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But we have to be willing to read the Bible. I know people who love the Bible. They talk about the Bible all the time. The Bible's this, the Bible's that. I just love the Bible. They're going on and on and on about the Bible. But typically when they talk about the Bible, they're talking about something that they heard about the Bible from another pastor or from a friend or from, or from a group or from this or that. And that's all great. We're going to talk about that more as later as well. But if you're here and you're like, I love the Bible, I want to ask you, have you tried reading it for yourself or how often do you read it for yourself? I believe that if we want to be intellectually responsible, we have a responsibility then to engage with the scriptures for ourselves to say, hey, I heard this thing. It sounded really good. I should go read it for myself and see, hey, does this seem to be an accurate interpretation? But on the other end of the spectrum as well, I've talked with people who have a lot of critiques about the Bible. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I was talking to a friend a number of years ago who had a lot of issues with the Bible. And some of them were interesting issues, like good things to have conversation about. And, and he was listening to this one podcast. I was listening to it with him. And I said, hey, when was the last time you read the Bible yourself? He said, I don't think I could do that anymore. I don't think I could do that right now. And I would issue the same challenge to those on this end of the spectrum. If you're in this spot where you're criticizing the Bible, you're having a difficult time with the Bible, I still think that you have a responsibility to read it because why would we critique or criticize something that we're not familiar with the source material? Is that really fair? Is that really being honest? And, oh, I heard this from so-and-so. Oh, okay, well, did you go and check to see if what they were saying actually seems to be accurate? Does it, does it seem to be something that could actually be credible? Maybe it does. But we live in a day and age now where there is more information out there about the Bible than really ever before. Between TikTok and YouTube and social media and podcasts, there is, you can find information about the Bible just about anywhere. And whether it's something that you think is great or something you think that's not so great, here's here's what you should do every single time when you start, if, if you're really interested, ask yourself, who is this? Why might they be saying this? 
what bias or perspective or denomination are they coming from that might push them in this direction or that direction? What, is the, what are the credentials of the person who is putting out this information? Whether it's this end or that end, these are questions that we should be asking because there's information everywhere. You know, I know I joke here a lot because I'm always quoting like N.T. Wright or Scott McKnight, but I have found through my own Bible reading, I really appreciate their scholarship. They're both New Testament scholars who I, I appreciate the work that they put into the text. And typically when I read something from them and then I go look at what the text has to say in the Bible, I'm like, that seems pretty close to what could be going on here. And they've been doing this for 40 plus years. And so there's people, and so ask yourself, when I'm getting this information, who's saying it? Why are they saying it? Where is this coming from? Because sometimes we say all these great things about the Bible, but we've never really read it ourselves. Or we have all of these critiques of the Bible. Oh, it's this, it's that, but we haven't really read it. But I heard this and I heard that, I heard this. Okay, ask, where's this coming from? Why are they saying it? Whether it's good or bad, whether it's really positive or what, where's this coming from? Who's saying it? Why might they be saying it? Where is, ask those questions and then engage with the text yourself, engage with the Bible yourself and start to think through and parse through and ask some of these critical questions. Psalm 119 says this, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The psalmist is talking here about the, the scriptures that he had at the time, and he's saying, I have treasured God's word in my heart so that I may not sin against him, so that I may not move in a direction that is contrary to the life that he has for me. That's another way of saying that. So that I may not move in a way or in a direction that's contrary to the life that God has for me. And the psalmist viewed God's word as a treasure. He viewed the Bible, what was given to him at that point in time, as, as the scriptures, as the Bible, as a treasure. I want us to be a people who get to the point that we see this book, even though we might have differences of opinion about this or that, but we ultimately see it as a treasure, as a gift from God, so that when we engage with the Bible, it's not a burden of, oh, I guess I got to read my Bible now, but it's a, wow, this is a blessing. I get to engage with the scriptures. I get to open up the book and it, that tells us about Jesus, where I can find and learn more about Jesus and experience more of Jesus and who he is and what he has for my life and for all of our lives. The Bible would become something that we treasure. But I get it. Not everybody here loves to read. And I also get it that sometimes life gets busy. And I also get it that sometimes we, we start to wonder, like, what a, I don't know if I fully understand everything that's going on here. Before I get to my second point, I want to give you four questions to ask while reading the Bible. Now, these are not the only questions you should ever ask when reading the Bible. This is not the superior interpretation system of the Bible. There might be other questions that somebody has given you before. But here are four really helpful questions to ask yourself if, you, if you're reading the Bible. This one's really important, the first one. How does the passage I'm reading relate to what comes immediately before it and after it? How does the passage that I'm reading right now relate to what immediately comes before it and after? Let's say, for example, you're reading Galatians chapter three. Okay, this in Galatians three is a little bit complicated to me. Okay, what does Paul say in Galatians two? And what does he say in Galatians four? That might give you some clarity as to what is happening in Galatians chapter three. 
And this works with just about every area of the scriptures. How does this passage relate to what comes before it and after it? A great example would be Luke chapter 15, where it says that Jesus was talking to sinners and tax collectors. And then Jesus goes to tell three parables about what it means for him to go chase the lost. But then it also, in those three parables, we have the second son. And in Luke 15, it says he was talking to sinners and tax collectors. But it also says in verses one and two that religious leaders were close by. So that gives us an indication that in the prodigal son, when the one son returns back to the father, when he comes running to the father after rebellion, Jesus is probably addressing the sinners and tax collectors. But with the older son, he's probably addressing the religious leaders who were so jealous of the sinners and tax collectors that were close to Jesus. And he's saying to them, hey, all that I have is yours, just as the father said that to the older son. When we start to put these contextual pieces together, we can see, oh, this is what's going on here. Sometimes we have a tendency, though, to just grab one verse. Oh, this is what everything means now. I had a friend text me a couple weeks ago. He sent me a verse. He said, what does this, how would you interpret this? Is what he's asking me. How would you interpret this? The verse was from Romans 9 which is one of the most difficult chapters in all of scripture. If you've been around church for some time, Romans 9 is, and I I said, I can't interpret this one verse in isolation by itself. That is irresponsible. You can't think about Romans 9 unless you've thought about Romans 9, 10, and 11. You really can't think about Romans 9, 10, 11 unless you've thought about Romans 1 through 16. And then when you think about Romans 1 through 16, which is the entire book, you think about all of the story of Scripture. That's why in this series we did big picture, creation, fallen creation, and new creation. Because I would rather us interpret the Scriptures through the lens of Jesus through the cross and new creation through the bigger story that God is telling as opposed to, oh, here's our verse that we're going to cling to and we're going to build out from there that usually creates something that doesn't make a lot of sense and doesn't stick together within the entirety of the story. It's better to have the big picture and to work from there, to know the entirety of what's going on. So if you come across a passage that's difficult or you don't fully understand or you're not sure what's going on, how does what is happening right now in this passage, what happened before it, what happens after it, and how does that all relate? So that's the first question. Second question would be this. What information about the text's own time and culture might help me better understand what it is describing? What information about the text's own time and culture might help me better understand about what it is describing? Uh, For this, you could maybe get something like a study Bible, which gives you an, uh, an outline of each of the books typically and tells you when they were written and who wrote them and who they were written to. It tells you about the text, time, and culture. I would recommend survey books as well. Get books that are a survey of the Old Testament or a survey of the New Testament where the authors will include the dates and the authors and their intention and what we believe they were trying to say to those people in that time period. Or get a commentary if you want to invest a little bit more. A lot of, these, a lot of websites have resources like this for free. Bible Gateway, Blue Letter Bible, the YouVersion Bible app. There are other apps and stuff you can get. All of those have resources for free that might have commentaries or surveys or include information about who wrote this book, when was it written, who were they writing it to. There are YouTube videos. I mean, like I said, there are YouTube videos about everything. There, you, can, you can find this information for free and it's pretty accessible, but this is helpful for us too because what we don't want to do is look at everything happening in the world and then 
put our worldly lens onto the scriptures and say, oh, this is what the scriptures mean based off of what's happening in the world. What we actually want to do is what was the original intention of the author in the scripture? Maybe it's in the New Testament in the first century. Okay, now we want to know what it meant in the first century so we can then know how to apply it today. We don't want reverse reading of, let's just take what's happening now and throw it onto the scriptures. That happens far too often. What we want is we want to know what was happening so that we can then apply to the 21st century based off of the concepts that were being addressed back then. So learn about the time and the culture and what was happening. It's really, really helpful. And it helps us read the scripture in a more healthy way. Third question, how does this passage testify to Jesus? When we're reading the Bible, ask yourself, how does this passage testify to Jesus? What does it have to say about Jesus? You'll find Jesus is all over the place, all over the Old Testament, time and time again. We're seeing foreshadowings of Jesus in different characters, or we're seeing people's need and desperation for Jesus time and time again. And then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is basically in every single verse on every single page. It's all about Jesus. This is the story of Jesus unraveling in his new creation project that God desires to bring about through him. So ask yourself that question. And the last question, is the Holy Spirit using this passage to speak to me in some way? How might the Holy Spirit be using the passage that you're reading to speak to you about your life, about something that's going on around you or in you or through somebody else's life? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And what do you now need to do about it based on the fact that he is speaking to you? What, do you, what must you do? What direction is he pushing you in? What is he asking you to let go of? And then finally, if, if you're finding that your Bible reading is not leading to some type of transformation, if it's not helpful, if it's boring, if it's this or it's that, try a different reading plan. Sometimes we get so committed. I'm going to do my Bible in a year. I'm going to do the Bible in a year. I'm going to do the Bible in a year. I'm going to do the Bible in a year. You know, it just hasn't been working for me. That's okay. Go read the Gospel in John over and over and over again. Maybe that'll work. Maybe you're like, I've been reading the Gospel of John over and over again. It's not working for me right now. Okay, go read the book of Acts. Try something different. Go get a devotional. Get a Bible reading plan. Try something different. You know what works for me sometimes? I just go get a different translation. Get a different translation. You'll start to see things just a little bit differently. But if your Bible reading is not leading to transformation or to an encounter with God, just change it up. Sometimes we get legalistic. I've been doing it this way for the past 20 years. Maybe God's saying it's time for a new thing. <laughs> it's time for something different. Switch it up a little bit. That's okay. All right, so read the Bible. And there's some helpful tools for reading the Bible. And we want to treasure it as God's word in our heart. But secondly, wrestle with the Bible alone and with others. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. This is a lost art that we have. We've forgotten how to wrestle with the scriptures. Sometimes we do it alone, but we're not really good at doing it with others. But what happens oftentimes is, oh, you know, I, I gave my life to Jesus. Then I went to a class or something, and I learned the five to ten things that Christians are supposed to believe. And then for the rest of my life, I just continue to read the Bible through, through this is the five or ten things I'm looking for. Got to feed my confirmation bias. Got to feed my confirmation bias. Got to feed my confirmation bias over and over and over again. I just keep seeing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And we've lost what it means to wrestle. And this is what happens when we reduce the Bible to a rule book or a cookbook. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get my rules so I can know what to do. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to get my recipe so I know how to put everything together. And we talked about this in week one, that we don't want to just reduce the Bible to a rule book or to, a, or to like a cookbook where, okay, I got to get this ingredient and that ingredient and that ingredient and that ingredient and voila, it gives me this every single time. 
It's like turning the Bible into just, it's, it's minimizing what God wants to do in it. But when we see the Bible as a story, and when we see it as a story that God has invited us into, there's going to be some wrestling that happens sometimes because stories have complexities and layers. Stories have moments where, oh, I didn't see that, but now I do see that. I can prove it to you. How many of you watched a movie as a kid and then as an adult, you watched the movie and you said, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was in there. This has happened to me on far too many occasions. I have a nephew in here right now and he can testify to the fact there have been times where I thought, oh, I'm going to show him this clip from the movie, The Mask. And I'm like, oh, I forgot he said that in there. I do this all the time. I shouldn't be doing that, but I do it all the time. I, you, know, you want to know the movie that is the worst culprit of this? Because I've talked to many people about this. is Shrek. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Shrek is the absolute worst call. Shrek one and Shrek two. I don't remember three or four very well, but Shrek one and two. If you have not watched those movies since you were a kid, go back and watch them. And you will say, they, they put that in there. What? That got in there. I remember when Shrek first came out, I was eight years old. My mom took me to see it. And my older brother being the wonderful third parent that he always was, was telling my mom on the way to the theater, hey, mom, you know, I looked this up. You should not be taking him to see this movie right now. Do you know what's in this movie? And my mom said, all right, Tyler, settle down. But he's like, tell her, there's this, there's this. And mom, I cannot believe that you would take him to see this movie. And, and now I look back and I'm like, there is some stuff in Shrek. If, if you go back and watch it, they got some stuff in there. You're like, oh, I missed that. And this doesn't just happen with comedies. This happens with other stories as well. This happens, I'm sure, for those of you who are fans of Lord of the Rings or of Harry Potter or, or of Star Wars. It's, it's fun to reread or to rewatch a story over and over again because sometimes you're like, oh, I missed that. Or, oh, here's a different way of seeing it. Oh, there's another layer of complexity there. There's something that I didn't even fully understand. Cobra Kai proved this to all of us because it proved to us that Daniel LaRusso was not necessarily the hero in Karate Kid. If you look at it from Johnny Lawrence's perspective, Daniel Daniel Lawrence was the bully. The crane kick was illegal. I mean, you just, you got to watch Cobra Kai. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't allowed. And if, if you go back, oh, wow, there's a different way of seeing this. When we view the Bible as a story, we'll begin to see that there are layers and complexities. And if we as humans can create stories in books and movies that have layers and different ways of seeing things, imagine how much more God and his infinite wisdom can do that and desires to do that. This isn't just some old dry book with a recipe in it of how to get all the good stuff. No, it's a book for us to wrestle with, for us to engage with. There's a story God is telling and go read it and look at it again or look at it in a different way because there's probably something you missed the last few times that you tried. There's probably something I missed. There's always something different there. And we need one another to do this as well. We, we've, we've gotten really good in the American church of encouraging people, go read the Bible on your own. Go read the Bible on your own we also must be reading the Bible together and then wrestling with it and discussing it together. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul said, I put you under oath by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Paul wrote this letter, which is considered scripture now to us. He said, hey, read this to all the brothers and sisters. Read this aloud. He says this in Colossians 4, 16. Uh, You see right up on the screen, he said, when this letter has been read to you, make sure it's read in Laodicea as well. And you too should read the letter that will come on to you from Laodicea. First century historians believed that somebody would carry Paul's letters 
They would then take the letters to the church or to the community, read the letters publicly, and then the church would discuss and debate what was being said in the letter. They would discuss the public reading of scripture together. Well, I think he was meaning this. I thought it was meaning, oh, this is what we should now do as a church. How are we going to do that? There was public discussion. We must be working to read scripture together in our story groups or maybe just other Christian community that you find yourself in. This is not just something to, oh, do alone and check off my box. No, it's something for us to do together and to wrestle and have discussions and say, what is going on here? I was just reading this morning in my time in Acts chapter 8. When Philip comes along to the Ethiopian eunuch and the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, can you help me with this? I don't know what this is saying in Isaiah. And Philip goes, sure. For us to read publicly together and to help one another. This is what the first century church, the beginning of the church was committed to. Acts 2.42 said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Publicly to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to this and living in community. And then I can guarantee you they were discussing this teaching of what must we now do? Who must we now become? What is happening? What is going on here? Reading scripture shouldn't just be left to the individual. It actually should be a collective practice that we practice together. Reading it aloud and discussing it. And if something is is confusing or difficult or hard to understand... Keep working together, one. And two, that's okay. Sometimes things are difficult to understand. You know know how we can know they're difficult to understand and we can say it's okay that these things are difficult to understand? Because Peter said it. Peter, who walked with Jesus for three years, Peter, who preached the first message in the book of Acts where all these people came to know Jesus, Peter, who was the guy who helped get the first church started. Peter, one of the leaders. Peter, one of the people is like, Peter, he was, he was, he's one of the main guys. He's one of the originals. Look at what he said about Paul's writings. We looked at this passage last week, but looking at it in a different way, look at this. He said, our beloved brother Paul has written to you about all of this according to the wisdom that has been given him. Speaking about these things as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them which are difficult to understand. Peter looks at Paul, who he knew personally, and says, some of the things that guy says, just like, it's difficult to understand. Some of the things that guy says, it's, it's complicated. If Peter says that, it should be okay for us. This passage makes me laugh because I think about, you know, me. I think about us pastors and we go, here's what Paul really meant when he was saying this. It's like, Do we really know? Because Peter, (laughs) Peter seems to be thinking uh, some of these things are difficult to understand. It's okay sometimes if it's difficult to understand. We must create communities where it's okay to say that and it's okay to work through these things together and then using the overarching story of scripture say, here's what we think it means. Here's what we think could be happening and knowing some of the context of the, of the author and knowing the story. Here's what could be happening. Here's what's being revealed. And we work towards that together. But sometimes with our biblical knowledge, we become judgmental. And so therefore people don't want to speak up anymore because we just so quick, you don't know that? You don't know that? You don't know that? How do you not know that? Have you been, you've been coming to church for this long. How do you not know that? How do you not know that? That's why, that's why my preaching, I try to be careful because sometimes I hear people say, you know the story. No, not everybody knows the story. Not everybody, not everybody knows it. And, and so we become judgmental. I, I heard this from uh, 
Pastor Greg Boyd, he said, love is ascribing worth to the other at cost to oneself. Judgment is ascribing worth to self at cost to the other. That's just a good principle in general, but I'll say it again. Love is ascribing worth to the other at cost to oneself. Judgment is ascribing worth to self at cost to the other. How often do we not just do that in life, but we do that in our biblical knowledge as well. I know a little bit more, so I have a little bit more worth and it's at the expense of the other. I'm gonna tell you what I know and what you don't know. I'm gonna build myself up and cut you. That's not the essence of Jesus. That's not the heart of the gospel. We must have humility and be able to read together. But what we seek is uniformity instead of unity. The goal should not be uniformity. The goal must be unity. You can write this down. Uniformity discourages wrestling for the sake of behavior modification and control. Unity encourages wrestling for the sake of discovering oneness. Two weeks ago, in looking at the story of the scripture, we talked about how God's goal is for us to be one with him and to be one with one another. If we want true unity, sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. Sometimes we have to say some things, which then allows us to bring in forgiveness and humility and wholeness, which works to oneness. Uniformity is get in line, do what I say for the sake of control and behavior modification. Unity is, hey, let's have the conversation so that we can move towards oneness together. And that must be our goal as we wrestle with the scriptures with one another and we read this aloud and we work together. It's okay to say, I don't get, it's okay to have these types of communities and to grow together. So read the Bible, wrestle with the Bible alone and with others. And lastly, know your place in the story of the Bible. Know your place in the story. I've heard it said before that, we as the church for the past 2,000 years and moving forward, we live in the place that is after the end of the book of Acts and Acts 28, between then and the finality one day of the book of Revelation. We live somewhere in that in-between space. It's kind of a creative way of looking at it. We live in this place as the church, as God, as God bringing about new creation through his church in Christ Jesus. And, and we are now participating in his story. Well, what exactly is being revealed then in the book of Acts? Because that'll give us an indication as to who we are to be as we live in this story. Well, as Luke is writing Acts, we see the beginnings of the church. But Acts chapter one begins with the resurrected Jesus giving a commission to his disciples to go be his witnesses. So Jesus has come back from the dead at this point in time, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And he says in his physical resurrected body, hey, go be my witnesses. And then look at what happens in Acts chapter one, verses nine through 10. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. This is really, really, really important. Okay, just a quick history, history lesson or whatever here. Maybe it's a lesson, maybe it's history, just history. Okay, quick thing with history. So uh, Acts chapter one, verses nine through 10, Jesus physically, his physical resurrected body that had come back from the dead after being crucified on a cross, ascends into heaven and people with their eyes witness this happen. 
In the first century, there was a rumor going around that when Julius Caesar died, that his spirit had ascended into the heavens. Nobody had witnessed it. It wasn't a physical resurrection. It was just his spirit had ascended into the heavens. And so therefore, divinity was given to Caesar. And whenever a Caesar came up after him, they would refer to him as the son of God. So Luke starts his, it starts his account in Acts with Jesus upstaging Caesar. It's Jesus ascending into the heavens physically with people seeing it and saying, this is the actual son of God who has been physically resurrected. It's not just a spirit and it's not just a rumor. No, people are seeing this. Jesus is upstaging Caesar. And then throughout the book of Acts, we see the church moving and growing. Then we eventually get Paul who comes to Christ and he's trying to get to Rome where Caesar is. He's trying to get to Rome. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. And look at what's happening in Acts 28. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So the book of Acts starts with Jesus upstaging Caesar and then ends with Paul in Rome right under Caesar's nose declaring that Jesus is king. Therefore, Caesar is not. Yes, Caesar can have his own little temporary kingdom on this earth, but Jesus is the one who is king over all things. And while Paul is in prison, he's still declaring Jesus as king because you could keep him physically in this temporary life arrested, but overall in a kingdom spectrum, he has been set free in Christ Jesus. And this is your place in the story. And this is my place in the story. We are people who are to be King Jesus people, declaring the kingship of Jesus, walking in the sacrificial life, love of Jesus, walking in mercy like Jesus, walking in grace like Jesus. We have to be people who look and act like Jesus and serve Jesus and recognize that no matter who's in charge, Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So whoever is around can have their own temporary kingdoms, but he is the one with an eternal kingdom. Therefore, we as the church declare Jesus is King. Amen? Amen. That's our part in the story. We are the people who declare the kingship and the lordship of Jesus above all else. So yeah, this ruler might be in charge or this might be going on and that might be frightening and that might be scary and this might create some worry and this might create some concern. But above all else, we like Paul as he was sitting in prison, have a peace in our hearts because we know that Jesus is the king of kings and Jesus is king. Therefore, we are gonna become people who look like his kingdom citizens who let go of the old life and embrace the new as his kingdom citizens that love like him, that serve others like him, that sacrifice just like him, that go out of our way for the other, just like he did. We won't always get it right, but that's the ideal. That's who we are seeking to become, King Jesus people. So we embrace our role in the story to be those who declare the lordship and display the lordship of Jesus above all other kingdoms. That's our role in the story. And if we want to embrace and know and our role in the story and become these kind of people who display and declare the lordship of Jesus above all other kingdoms, we must read the Bible. We must wrestle with the Bible alone and with others, become King Jesus people together. And then we must move forward in knowing our place in the story, which is ultimately his story, his story of his kingship above all other kingdoms. If you would please bow your heads and join me for prayer in this moment. Jesus, we thank you 